You can be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We're just trucking along through Matthew again. Chris got the divorce one last week, so I thought this was going to be easier, but it wasn't. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. If you found it in your copy of God's Word, if you'll stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this morning, Lord, we do not have to hear the words and opinions of men, of sinful men. We can hear directly from you. That, Lord, every word that we just read is inspired by your Holy Spirit. It's profitable for us. And that, Lord, you can use it to do exactly what each one of us needs in our hearts this morning. And so I pray... Lord, that I would not be in your way today as you speak to your people, that those who need to be convicted would be convicted, that those who need to be comforted would be comforted, that those who need to be challenged in their walk with you would be challenged, Lord, and that it would all be you and not me. Lord, I thank you that we can put our trust in this word and in the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, and it's in Christ's name we ask, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is, The Gospel is for You. The Gospel is for You. Let's set up our context here of what we're looking at. We've seen uh, earlier in Matthew, Jesus had this public ministry of working miracles and teaching and, and drawing these massive crowds to himself. And then we see later on in his ministry, a few chapters ago, he begins to retreat privately as he's getting closer to Jerusalem. And for a few reasons, one, as we discussed, as, as he is getting closer, obviously it's getting more hostile. There are more people trying to get him imprisoned or killed or conspiring against him. And so he's got to be a little more under the radar with his ministry. But also, he's spending more time with his disciples because these men are the men that he is going to leave in charge of his church in his absence. And so he's speaking to them uh, and clearly revealing to them, okay, here's the plan. You followed me. You needed to see the miracles. You needed to hear what I was teaching so that prophecy was fulfilled so that you can know for sure that I am this Messiah. And we see the culmination of that in the Mount of Transfiguration where he is revealed in a glorified state there with the testimony of Moses and Elijah with the law and the prophets there. And so the disciples unquestionably knew that Jesus was the Messiah of God at this point. And after that time, he begins to reveal to them as the Messiah I am going to, the, to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and die, and I will be raised again. This is not something that at this time he was preaching very publicly to the masses, but now that his disciples had that confidence, he felt like he could now reveal to them more of the plan. And so that's leading up here. And what we see in this section in 18 and 19 is another one of these uh, teaching moments. And I want to set up the context because if you read, you, you, if you read chapter 18, you see that he's, 
uh, teaching all these things about who is the greatest in the kingdom. The disciples were fighting over that. He's talking about having humility. He's talking about church discipline. What do you do when someone does sin? How do you respond to that person? He's talking about forgiveness. How many times should you forgive someone? You should forgive them 70 times 7, or in other words, an infinite amount of forgiveness. Uh, And, of course, he himself sets the example for all of those things. And then you have this passage of divorce that we looked at last week that seems kind of like it's just stuck in there. If you read all the way through 18 and you read the rest of 19 and into 20, Jesus is continuing on teaching these things about the kingdom, and then there's this divorce passage that's just kind of crammed in there. So why is that? Well, let's think about what is going on when Jesus is doing this, because I want to give you a mental picture. So when Jesus is teaching, it is not an environment like this. A lot of Jesus' teaching would have been outdoors, and the way that a rabbi would teach is they would find an elevated place where people could see and hear them, and they would sit down. So he would not have been standing up like I am today in front of a group of people that are watching. This could have been in a public area where people were coming and going and walking by, but he would be sitting down and basically having a conversation. If you come tonight to our Q&A with our elders, it's a very similar format. We'll just be sitting up here on chairs, and people have asked us questions, and we're having conversations and discussions about those questions. And so now that you have that mental picture, imagine that as Jesus is teaching these things about the kingdom, it's normal for others to come and interact with him, to ask questions about something that he just taught, or to bring up a subject that they want to hear him teach about. This is the reason why the divorce question comes up, because as he's teaching about the kingdom, the Pharisees are able to just come up and basically publicly challenge him or ask him to teach something concerning divorce, and that was not an unusual thing to happen when a rabbi would be teaching. And so as he's teaching, this conversation comes, and it actually is kind of off topic because he goes right back in later to things about the kingdom, like we see in this passage of who is in the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you the context of when Jesus is saying the things that we're reading here this morning, there's a crowd of people around, he's seated, and he's teaching them. He's not, he's not uh, screaming at anyone, he's not doing anything like that, but he is projecting his voice and teaching, and then allowing them to come and ask questions, as we'll see next week when there was the rich young ruler that in this setting, too, comes to him and asks a question. Teacher, tell us about this. And so this is the kind of conversational format that Jesus' teaching often had, which is why you see, if you've ever wondered, why are the Pharisees always keep kind of inserting themselves into these conversations? Because that was normal culturally for them to be having those kind of conversations. And so that's the, that's the mental picture that we have. Now, I want to get something out of the way. I, I, uh, I labored on this one <laughs> because uh, if you read Presbyterian scholars, they will tell you that this passage proves that we should baptize our children. John Calvin said that this is the text to use to uh, teach against an Anabaptist. And, of course, we are Baptist here. And we are not just Baptists because we were raised Baptist, but we need to believe the doctrine that we believe because it's biblical. So, in order to do that, I'm avoiding that conversation, and I'm going to explain why. The reason why is because I do not believe, based on the, the context of this passage, that the central idea of this text is about the covenant community. In other words, many will say, look at when he says the kingdom of heaven is such as these children... That's not the point here. The point is actually the fact that the disciples rebuked him. And so that's what I'm going to address this morning is the main point that Jesus is addressing in this passage is not really about children. It's actually about the attitude of the disciples regarding the children. 
And so we're going to go there. Uh, if you are here and you have a different theological view and you want to fight me afterwards, I have prepared myself to do that. And so we can have that conversation at lunch. We don't need to have it this morning. Um, and of course, you know, we do love our brothers and sisters that have different uh, opinions on that. Um, and they do have some good arguments for those things. And I was challenged in studying that this week. But I do not believe that's the main point that Jesus is making here. And so we need to speak loudly where Jesus is speaking loudly and quietly where he's speaking quietly on this passage. So the title is The Gospel for You. And I've only got two points. Don't get excited about that. But there's only two points here. It's a small passage. So the first one is we see the esteemed excluded. In verse 13, the esteemed excluded. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. So what's happening here? These children came for a blessing, but they were seen as a burden. So let's talk about those two things, the idea of children being a blessing and children being a burden. This, this is very relevant for us today. I'm th- I am so thankful today that I got to see some baptisms this morning, that I'm hearing our young newlyweds, our resident newlyweds, singing about the gift of children, because um, that is what the Bible teaches. I'm thankful to be in a church uh, where we do not try to treat our children this way. So they came for a blessing, but they were seen as a burden. Let's talk about the blessing. What is this blessing that Jesus is doing? It says they wanted him to lay his hands on them and pray for them. So culturally, this all around the world throughout history, every practicing Jewish family sees this happen every Friday night. So every Friday night at Shabbat, they light their candles to begin Sabbath. Sabbath starts on Friday evening and goes until Saturday evening. And part of what they do there is, that, is the father will place his hands onto his children and bless them. So he does that through reading scripture, through praying for them and asking God to bless them and to do great things in their lives. And often he will whisper an individual blessing for each child. We see this happen. Abraham did this with his sons, and and it's a a tradition that's been passed on there. Honestly, after studying it this week, I think I'm going to start doing it with my kids because I think it's very powerful um, to, to help form their identity of this is, this is my heart's desire of who I want you to be, and this is who God says that he wants you to be. And speaking that into our children's life, I think, is a wonderful thing. And so I would not legalistically tell any of you in here to practice Shabbat or Sabbath, but, but uh, the more that I study it, the more I see why it has benefited the people of God for thousands of years. And so this was normal for the fathers to do this, but also culturally, it was a great thing to have your children blessed by a great man of God. If there was a prophet in town, if there was a great teacher, someone who was respectable in the Jewish community, it's a great thing for your dad. But when you see somebody that's, that's just done something awesome for the Lord, you're going you're gonna to say, would you be willing to, to pray a blessing over my child? Would you be willing to lay your hands on my child? I want you to speak something to them. And so we don't do this a lot culturally. In our church, for instance, you'll see that, for instance, when we ordain a pastor, or when we bring a deacon into the church, we usually have a laying on of hands where the other leadership in the church will lay their hands on them and pray for them. And that's a similar thing. All of our deacons in here, we've prayed blessings over them for their ministry. We've prayed for their protection as they serve God's church. The same thing with the pastors in this church. And so if we, if we today were think, think of who your most favorite preacher is, the person that, that uh, you think of, and imagine if that man were to be here in the pulpit today and say, I would, I would like to invite any of you after we're done today uh, to come and have me pray for you. I would love to pray for God to bless you. That would be an exciting moment. 
to think, wow, this is somebody that I've looked up to in the faith. They've done great things for God. How great it would be. It's almost kind of like an, like getting an autograph signed or having an ador- endorsement from that person's ministry. Of, uh, For me, I, I've had uh, men uh, sign things for me before. Now, I'm not doing that because I idolize those men, but I'm doing that because uh, sometimes when I need encouragement, it helps to look at somebody that I respect that says, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's important to have that encouragement in our lives. And that should come first and foremost from our dads, according to Scripture. But it can also come from other people in the church. We, we should be blessing one another's children too and praying for them and lifting them up. These two young ladies that you saw this morning, you should be praying for them uh, as, as they are coming into the faith that God would do amazing things in their lives and bring much glory to himself uh, through their lives. And, and I was just blessed just to hear him just quote scripture and just say, this is the Bible and I believe it. I think that was just awesome. I think that was great. So the Talmud also, which is, which is basically Hebrew commentaries, also taught this idea that if, if you have a respected rabbi or somebody in town, that you should bring your children to them to ask to receive a blessing from them. But imagine, imagine God's Messiah. It's hard for us to put ourselves in a Jewish context because most of us in here have not grown up in Judaism. But God's Messiah, his anointed one, is the most important person that will ever walk the face of the earth. He is the salvation for the people of God. He is the one that can perfectly keep God's law, that follows all of God's commandments, that has all wisdom and knowledge, uh, that, has, that is able to teach with authority, not somebody else said, but this is what God has said. Imagine finding out that this man was in town. Imagine if he was in downtown Waynesville right now, and you found out the most important man to ever walk the earth, the holiest man that has completely pleased God with his life is here, and you have an opportunity to have him pray for you and your children. I don't know about you guys, but I'd be like, I'd I'd leave y'all right now and just go out there and be like, can I just have like five minutes, you know, to talk with you? Of course, we know that we do have that because now he is our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And so he is praying for us. And he did pray for you in John 17, um, for those who would believe because of the testimony of the apostles. You think about the power of that. One One of my favorite passages is Jesus tells Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. That's what Satan is demanding. But I have prayed for you. And, and when you go through that, then you turn and encourage your brothers. Satan has a plan for you, but I have prayed for you. And in John 17, he prayed for me. That's part of my assurance of my salvation is I'm not praying for myself. He is praying for me. And so with him being there, being able to bring their children and receive a blessing from God's Messiah that the Jewish people had waited thousands of years for, just imagine the excitement and then the excitement of the children. Because you have to understand, when we think about Passover and all these kind of things, the kids are always there. They didn't have children's church in Judaism. The, the, the kids always grew up with that. So they heard teaching of Messiah from the time that they were infants. And for even for a small child, uh, the commentators say this child was probably maybe one or two years old, like barely able to walk. But they've heard about Messiah their whole life. And they're thinking, he's here. And I can, I can go and sit on Messiah's lap? He can pick me up in his arms? I mean, what, what, an incre- what an incredible opportunity that they have here. So these children were coming to Jesus to receive a blessing. Their mothers are bringing them and saying, uh, if you would just even speak a word, if you would just even lay your hand on my child, if you would do anything, I would be so blessed just to know that they had an opportunity to see you or that you knew who they were or that you could even speak a word to them. It would be such a wonderful blessing to do that. We can ask for blessings 
We can ask that for ourselves. We can ask that for our children. We can ask that for one another, and we should. But only Christ can command one. So what's the difference between Jesus blessing a child and me blessing a child? Well, the difference is I can't uh, say authoritatively that God will or won't do anything unless it's directly in his word. Jesus, uh, imagine that child hearing the Son of God whisper a blessing in their ear that is guaranteed to happen because Jesus said so. That the same one who spoke the world into existence, the scripture says all things that were made were made by him, right? The same one that spoke everything that we see, everything that we know with all wisdom would speak words into the, would whisper words into the ear of a small child is incredible. The, the amount of humility that he would be showing to even pay attention to a child that others thought was insignificant. So parents, are you, are you regularly blessing your children? Or are you regularly doing that? I was convicted this week. Sometimes I spend more time correcting my children than I do encouraging them. And I know, I have, I have six children. It, it can be exhausting sometimes. It's hard when you're working and you come home and it, it's hard to crack that Bible open and read it with your kids and spend prayer time with your kids because everybody's tired and they're crazy or you've got different activities and things going on. It's really hard. This is the reason why the Jewish people set aside a whole day every week and made it in stone and in some cases even became legalistic about it because they said, if you don't make that time, it won't happen. And that's been true in my life. And maybe it is for you this morning. And I think one of the things that we can learn here is that uh, speaking blessings to our children, especially dads, I'm talking to you, speaking blessings to your children is one of the most powerful things that you can do. I tell people right now, tonight we're going to talk about issues in the Southern Baptist Convention, which everybody wants to know about because they saw it on TV and drama and whatever. I'll tell you right now what will solve issues in, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention. One, catechize your children so they know what the Bible says and they don't be, end up believing a bunch of weird doctrine. It's worked for thousands of years. That's why we do it in here. So they know what the truth is. The second thing is, is let your children know as dad that you believe in the word of God, that you believe in the power of God, that you're speaking blessings into that child's life, and that you're setting an expectation for them. I want my, my boys to grow up hearing on a regular basis what my expectations for them are as men, and not only that, but as followers of Christ. And so this may be one of the most powerful things that you can do as a dad. It's not going to happen overnight. It's cumulative. Right? We're always looking for the easy bake oven way to disciple our kids. Like, well, can't I just read this book or just, you know, uh, I'll just go check, check off this list and then my kids will be spiritual. Let's be honest. We all know people here, uh, uh, family members and others in the community, who their kids were in church every single Sunday and they're apostate now and they reject Christ. And what's the difference? It's because it's not about a checklist. But taking the time to pray over your children and, and beg God to save your children and beg God to make your children mighty in his kingdom may be the difference between Waynesville being converted for Jesus Christ in 20 years. You're not going to see it right now, but you'll see it in 10 or 20 years. Uh, your children are going to be the deacons and the elders in this church in one generation, and you're training them right now. So you need to be speaking that to them. If you have, God is going to put a call on your life, even if that calls being a mom, even if that calls work, working a job out in the community, going into the military, whatever whatever he calls you to, but you need to be faithful to that calling. And so not only do I want you to see it in my life as your dad while I'm setting that example and hopefully trying to set that example, but I also want you to see it because, I, because I'm speaking to you that I have a standard for you and that God has a standard for you. It's an important thing. So they were coming for this blessing from Jesus. But let's talk about the burden. 
the disciples rebuked them for doing this. Now, they probably weren't rebuking the little ones. They were probably re- rebuking mom, most likely the mom, but maybe mom and dad, for, for bringing him. And why is that? Remember our environment. Jesus is sitting teaching. There's people surrounded there. Now, in the synagogue, the, the women did not uh, come in for the teaching in the synagogue. The men did that. So, so it was normal for the men to be the ones uh, engaging in the teaching and conversation. It was not normal for women to just be coming up and talking to teachers and doing things like that. That, that wasn't a, a normal thing to do. And so you have to, you have to see uh, in this context that in the middle of him teaching about the kingdom, we have the Pharisees coming in and asking this question about divorce. And remember the end of that passage? Remember the end of that section? Jesus talks about eunuchs. Uh, men who were not married. And he said, you know, there are some that do that for various reasons, but some of them do it for the kingdom of God, that they're unmarried. It's interesting that when Jesus starts talking about how unmarried people are blessed, the mothers feel like it's time to bring their unmarried children to Jesus for a blessing. There's a consistency there of uh, maybe my child is one of these eunuchs for the kingdom that God is calling because Jesus said only those who are able to receive it can receive it. Uh, if you're in here this morning and you're single and you remain single for the rest of your life for the glory of God, that is a calling on your life. Uh, Jesus is clear here. Not everybody is able to do that. There are only certain ones that are able to do that. And so when they're thinking about, here's the Messiah preaching about a blessed person, that's what I want my kid to be. Uh, can my kid be a eunuch in the kingdom of God and be able to completely serve God like Paul did? Could, could, could my child be like that? And so they bring him, Jesus, I want you to bless my child. Give my child that calling. Give my child that blessing. Uh, that, you're, that you're preaching about here. And so they're doing this, but again, Jesus is sitting here teaching about the kingdom. Now, it's interesting, the Pharisees are allowed to come and interrupt because they're important, but the women and the children aren't allowed to come and interrupt because it's not their place in the, in the minds of the disciples. And so the disciples are saying, listen, Jesus doesn't have time for your kids to be climbing on him and praying. Every, like, y'all do that at home. Y'all do that every Friday night. Jesus can just lift his hands up and pray over you guys and you'll be fine. You know, we're doing serious stuff here. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom here. This is a salvation issue here. Jesus is debating important people like the Pharisees. And so they saw it as a burden. Mark's gospel says that this is one of only a few times that Jesus was indignant with the disciples. In other words, greatly angry. So we know what happens when Jesus gets angry. When Jesus gets angry, tables get turned, whips get made. It's not, uh, the, the teddy bear Jesus that is in American culture is not in the Bible, if you read the Bible. Jesus got angry about things. And this is one of those things that when the disciples did that, it says Jesus was very angry with the disciples for turning these children away from him. Why is that? The reason why is because Jesus defines the value of people and not us. We don't get to decide who comes to him and who doesn't. We don't get to decide who he thinks is important and who he thinks isn't. That is the decision that he makes. And the fact that the disciples made a value judgment that the Pharisees were greater than the women and the children made Jesus very angry because they were, they were assuming his intentions. They were assuming that they thought the way that he thought. And he's saying, no, you don't understand the way that I think. So look at the contrast. Jesus tolerated the scribes and the Pharisees. He tolerated them by allowing them to come, but he welcomed the little children. He didn't just allow them to come. He said, no, don't forbid them. And the, and the verb in, in the original text there says, stop forbidding them and never do it again. 
That, that's the full interpretation of that word. When he says, do not hinder them, he's not just saying right now, he's saying, never hinder them from coming to me again. Anytime a child is brought to me, you better bring that child here and let me bless it. Every single time. This, this, is, uh, this is the attitude of Jesus towards this. George MacDonald uh, said it well this way. He said that no man could be a follower of Jesus if the children were afraid to play at his door. If children are afraid of you or they think you're a mean person or they think that they're bothering you or whatever, you need to ask yourself the question, do I have the heart of Jesus towards children? This is, the reason, this is part of the reason why they're here this morning. This is part of the reason why they're not in another room. Because if Jesus was here this morning and they were in another room, he would be indignant and he would tell us, you better go get those kids and bring them in here so they can hear what I have to say. And that's the reason why we do this as a church. It's biblical. It's been biblical for hundreds of years. Is it hard? Yes. Are your kids going to move around? Yes. Are they going to make noise? Yes. They're going to be children. Jesus understands how children work. He created them. It's his idea. And yet he says, bring them anyways. You know, I've heard Chris, I've heard Chris say before, you know, he's like, Chris has preached on college campuses where people have cussed him out to his face while he's preaching. They've spit on him. They've thrown stuff at him. He's had trains drive by. He's like, a crying baby is not going to bother us. And so uh, we're never, we're never going to uh, tell people that children are not welcome under the teaching of God's word um, or anyone else for that matter. So we need to value people the way that Jesus values people, not make our own value judgments. And let's be honest, we do that sometimes. We see somebody and we think, I don't know if I want to invite that person to church. They're kind of weird. Or uh, I don't know if they're really going like, to kind of like fit well with whatever. And we try to make these decisions about who Jesus may or may not want to bring into his church. We need to be careful that he doesn't become indignant with us in doing that. The Bible says that he has commanded all men everywhere to repent, every single one, whether you like them or not, whether you feel like they belong in your church or not, whether you feel like they're weird or not. He has commanded all men everywhere to repent. It's, th- think about this in our modern church. I'm not going to try to, th- to throw stones here, but I got to a little bit. It is easier for many people today in America to come to Christ himself at their death than it is their own pastor. We all know people in churches that their pastor does not know who they are. Their pastor does not know their name. They have no access to him. They may be able to make an appointment with him at a, in a particular situation or in an emergency, but it's easier for them to die and be in the presence of Christ themselves to get counsel about God's word than it is to come to their own pastor and get counsel about God's word. God forbid if our church ever becomes that. And that's why I tell people, we are not trying to be a mega church here. We are not trying to be a big. If this church gets to the size where I don't know every single member on the roll and know about their life and know what I'm praying for them about, then that's when we start planting churches again, which we've done, by the way. You don't have to be a big church to do that. And so I can go down the membership list right now and tell you who every single person is, something that I can pray for them about, something that's going on in their life. If it gets too big for that, then guess what? They don't have a shepherd anymore. And that's part of what pastoring is. And so here's the way that our church works. Uh, our pastors want you to come to us. Our contact information is in the bulletin. We are here during the week. You can contact us online. You can text the church number, and we get text messages that way. You can call us. We will come to your house. We, we are here for you. This, this is what God has called us to do. You are not bothering us if you need prayer or if you need to talk about something or if you have something going on. And we do not do that perfectly. Maybe you've tried to do that before, and we have failed you. And in that case, we would repent for that and, and apologize for not being there when you needed us. But we are human men, 
But our desire is never to do that. We want to help you lay your burden on Christ's shoulders. We can't bear your burdens. We're, we're human, man. We're just serving the Lord. But Jesus says, all you who are weak and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. He says that we should cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. And we want to help you do that. And so if you're, if you're burdened, if you're feeling heavy, if you're struggling, don't do it by yourself. So here's the deal. A solitary Christianity is no Christianity at all. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. That, that is not biblical. And it needs to be said because, especially last year, let's be honest, so many people in the culture think that watching church on TV is part of them being a Christian. Now, we've, now we're live streaming right now, and there's people that are watching at home because they are not able to come here. But the reality is, is what God has said the church should do cannot be done on TV. It can't happen. The reason why we want every one of our members to be in a growth group, in a small group, you can ask the people in my group. They're the people that I'm closest in this church to because we pray for one another every single week, because we do bear one another's burdens, because we do those kind of things, because we do evangelism together. We do missions together. We serve in the church together. And if you're not doing those things, you're not being faithful. Now, now I understand there's, there's providential circumstances where you may not be able to be in a group or whatever, We've got three groups on three different evenings in three different locations in the county. My prayer is in a year, maybe we'll have six. Maybe every night we'll have something going on somewhere. We are trying to make it as available to you. And I realize that that's a program. You might say, well, that doesn't sound really spiritual. It's not about a program. It's not about whether you come and check a box that you did something for church or not. It's about the fact that you have gifts that, that God has given you for the church that you cannot use if you're not engaged, if you don't serve, if you don't know anybody. If you, we are not the kind of church that you can just slip in and sit on Sunday morning and disappear. Uh, we are a church where we want people to be known. This is the reason why, why those young ladies were baptized in here. Why? Because every one of you in here this morning is a witness to their baptism. What does that mean? That means that if they begin to become apostate or if they begin to live a life that does not demonstrate that their baptism is valid, if you're sitting in here in this room, it is your responsibility to call them to task as a witness, and say, you said that Jesus was your Lord. Your life says it's not. Which is it? And that's hard to do, but you know what? You can't do that if you don't know anybody. And so we don't want to be a church where our members don't know the pastor's names, or we don't know who they are, or where they live, or anything else about them. It's unbiblical, and we don't want to do that. The Christian life is not made to be lived by yourself. It's a church. It is a people. God has always had a people for himself, not individuals. And a lot of times we create this bubble around our life of, well, this is my spiritual bubble, and your life is not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. And so you, so you must live the way that God says that you need to live, and it's for your good, and it's for your joy for you to do what God says. And so uh, in the same way that, these, uh, that the disciples excluded, uh, in the same way that they excluded these ones, Jesus esteemed them. He brought them in. We need to do the same thing. We need to bring one another in. We need to get to know each other. We need to uh, get to know people in our community. If you're visiting here today, we want to know who you are. Uh, uh, this is a church where we want people to be known. We don't want mysterious people just floating in and out. This is a family. The second thing that I want you to see in verses 14 and 15 is the lowly lifted. The lowly lifted. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. 
So there's two things that I want us to see about the lowly lifted. First is Jesus loves the lowly. Those are the people that he loves. And, and if you don't believe me, come back next Sunday because you're going to see a rich man that, te- that says, I've done everything. I've checked off all the boxes. I've done it. I, I'm, import- I'm important, Jesus, and I want to be in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, there's not a place for you there. You don't have a seat at my table like that. Until you give up everything, you can't be a part of my kingdom. And, and, and Chris is going to un- unpack that for us next week. Jesus loves the lowly. He loves the broken. Um, that's what these children are talking about. I, I don't believe in this text that Jesus is saying that these specific children in this passage are in the kingdom of God. I don't think that's what he's saying. He says that they are such as or likened unto those who are in the kingdom of God. So what is he referring to there? Well, children can't work or earn anything. They are not contributing something to your life. Every parent in here knows that. Kids cost more than they, than they make. Um, it's an investment that you're making. They don't earn anything, and they're not working for you. And when they're one years old, they're not doing housework. They're not doing any of that kind of stuff, and, unless you're just the most amazing uh, parents ever. I wish mine did that when they were one. But they can't work or earn anything. They aren't seeking position. You ever notice that? Like little children, like when they get older, you know, and they're in sports and stuff, they get competitive, but little children aren't really competitive. Uh, a lot of them are just kind of like, I'm doing my thing. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I am who I am. And uh, the idea of them being in competition with somebody else doesn't really even cross their mind at that age. Children are content with their circumstances. If you don't believe me, like, go to a third world country and look at the children there and look at how happy they are compared to the kids with the iPads and, the, and everything else. Well, why are they so much happier? It's because they're content with their circumstances. They, they will be happy with whatever they have. They, they don't even know that there's more out there, so they're not even greedy or anything about it. They just accept whatever they have. Children ask for help. They're not prideful. They'll actually come and, and ask for help. Even when they can't speak, sometimes they cry because they're asking for help. And children, again, children have nothing to prove to anyone else. They are who they are. I don't love my kids because of what they do for me. I love them because they're my kids. And I will always love them, even if they make choices that I hate. I will love my kids whether they're believers or not. I will love my kids whether they choose a complete lifestyle rebellion. I will always love them, and that will never change. And I will never disown my children. So these are things that they have in common. Um, there was a there was an early church guy, Epiphanius the Latin. He said it this way. He said it really well. He said, "What what they hear, they believe. They love their parents with complete affection." Therefore, beloved, the Lord instructs us that what they are by the gift of nature, we should become by the fear of God, a holy way of life and love of the heavenly kingdom. And so it's natural for children to be in this humble state of dependence. It is not natural for us to do that, but by the power of God, we can become that. And that is those who are in the kingdom. The prideful are not in the kingdom. The lowly are the ones that are in the kingdom. So we say that Jesus loves the lowly, and then we also see that Jesus lifts the lowly. How does he lift the lowly? Well, he, he contrasts it, okay? So we said children can't work or earn, earn anything, but Jesus works for those who can't. Children aren't seeking position, but Jesus exalts those with no position. Children are content with their circumstances. Jesus gives contentment to those who are in turmoil. Children ask for help. Jesus helps everyone who asks him. He says he won't turn away anyone who comes to him. Children have nothing to prove, and Jesus accepts those who cannot prove themselves. And so in every way that these children are like those in the kingdom, Jesus is the satisfaction of all of those things. He solves everything. 
So who is the kingdom for? That's the question here, right? Who is the kingdom of God for? Who is the gospel for? According to this, it's the lowly, the despised, the ignored, the helpless, and the desperate. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel lowly. Maybe you feel like people despise you. Maybe you feel just ignored, like people just don't care about you or about your life. Maybe you feel helpless, like there's nothing that you can do to make your life better. Maybe, you, maybe you're just desperate, and you're like, I have no future. I have no goals. I have no hope. I have no idea where I'm going in my life, and I'm just desperate to have something to hold on to this morning. Maybe you think that God won't accept you if you come to him because of these reasons. But I want to tell you this morning that the gospel is for you. It always has been. Look throughout history. Jesus, he didn't call scholars. He called fishermen. He's not preaching to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's preaching to regular people. In the church, the, these, these men that, that did all these great things for God, they were nobodies. David was a nobody. He was, he was the least. God has always done that. His heart has always been for that. And so if you're here this morning and you think that you can't come to him because of your life or because you're in a mess, then you just don't understand who Jesus is because that's the people that he died for. Jesus said, I didn't come for, for the healthy. The healthy don't need a physician. I came for the sick. And if you're sick this morning, you need to come to him and be healed and be saved. So in conclusion... I want, to, I want to read to you the blessing for the children. So, kids, if you, if, if, you're, uh, if you can hear me, I want you to look up at me so I can see you, okay? And I, somebody might criticize me. I might do this wrong. I'm not doing it in Hebrew, by the way, because that is not the gift that I have received. Um, boys in here, may the Lord make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Girls, May God make you like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. Children, may God bless you and protect you. May the Lord shine his face to you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. Father, I thank you this morning that the gospel is for us. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be a certain standard to get to you, Lord, that we don't have anything to bring to you, that we come just like a little child, just asking for a blessing from you. There's nothing that we can do for you. We've never done one good thing in our whole lives, Lord, not even one. And we're just coming to you, asking you to bless us just because you're good, not because we are, but because you are. We're asking you to love us, not because we love you perfectly, but because you love perfectly. Lord, if there's one here today that is broken, that is lowly, that is burdened, Lord, I do pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would cast those burdens on you and be set free this morning. I pray if there's one in here this morning that has not come to you in faith, that has not been saved, that by the witness of the baptisms that we saw by the word of God and by your table, that you would convict them of their sin and that you would draw them into your kingdom this morning. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would bless the children in this church the way that you did. And I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves to receive a blessing from you. And that, Lord, if, we, if any of us in here have been prideful, that you would forgive us and not hold it against us and not withhold your blessing from us because of our wickedness. And we ask these things based on the finished work of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.